Welcome to Praxis, a podcast where we explore how to practice and embody the way of Jesus in our everyday lives. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Today, we're talking about another one of our core values as a church, which is spirit sensitivity. We want to be a community that is sensitive to the movement and the leadership of the Spirit of God. And one thing that stuck out to me as we had this conversation is that this is something we can actually do. Being responsive to the Holy Spirit is an idea that might be easy to agree with in theory, like, yeah, that sounds nice, but it's a whole separate thing to actually practice it. So in this episode, we unpack what spirit sensitivity means, we look at what it looks like to embody this value, and then we see how it challenges or critiques some of our default ways of operating as a church. So that's where we're headed today. Here's episode four of Praxis on spirit sensitivity. Welcome, everyone. My name is Cameron. I'm Katie. And I'm Mac. How's everyone doing today? Well, I I actually had a disappointing moment right before this podcast. I was looking forward to a cup of coffee all day. And I went up to the place where we get coffee and I pushed on the little thing and it mm. just kind of made that splurty sound and it was all gone. It's not a good feeling. Disappointing. So I ran and made a... I used the AeroPress, and now I'm happy again. And if I might add, you had that same experience yesterday. Yeah, so it was like a back-to-back. It was a back-to-back. Which is mm-hmm. double frustrating. And because the carafe, as it's called, is right outside my office, I happened to notice that you were like the third or fourth person that had that exact same experience and yet refused <laughs> to make a pot of coffee. Ah, <laughs> uh, Well, we all have the same coffee addiction. Um Hey, Cameron, where are we headed today? Well, we are in a series right now where we're talking about our core values as a church. In our last episode, we talked about the value of discipleship. So if you didn't listen to it yet, make sure you check it out. Um, Today, we want to name a second core value, and that's spirit sensitivity, um, where we seek to be anchored and organized around God's activity as a church. So I'm going to start by asking the question, what is spirit sensitivity? What do we mean by that? Um, like when I hear that, one of the things I think of is like someone who is sensitive to ghosts <laughs> and paranormal activity in like a haunted house. I don't yeah. know, what are some things you guys think of when you just hear that word? Yeah, I think um, I think when people might people might hear the word spirit sensitivity and immediately go to like a super charismatic Pentecostal place in their mind. Like I remember when I was in high school, um, I went to a gathering. It was kind of the first experience I had in a charismatic space and people were invited forward to be prayed for. And those who went forward when they were praying for them, the person praying would put their finger on their forehead and then they'd like fall fall backwards and someone was there to like catch them, sort of mm. simulating being slain in the spirit. Mm. And... I mean, it was kind of like my first like experience with that, mm. but it felt really odd and and unusual to me. But you know, that's not what we're talking about when we refer to spirit sensitivity or paranormal or act- ghosts. Yeah, yeah, or ghosts or paranormal activity. Anything for you, Katie, that comes to mind? You know, I um, I tend to think of people that are really holy are those that can hear the Holy Spirit. Um, like the people that know a whole lot about the Bible and have spent a good chunk of their lives just deeply in prayer and rooted in 
um, and spiritual things. Like those are the people that can heal, hear the spirit. Okay. So when you hear the word spirit sensitivity, the kinds of people, a certain kind of people come to mind Yeah, for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when we talk about spirit sensitivity, we're not talking about paranormal activity. We're not talking about an uber charismatic environment. We will talk about the kinds of people that can, can do this work um, in a bit. Um, but when we talk about spirit sensitivity, we're actually talking about a theological theological conviction concerning God's activity and God's agency. And the way I would summarize this conviction is it's that God is the primary actor in the life of our community. And we actually see this throughout the Bible. If the Bible is sort of the drama of redemption, in the story of the Bible, God is the primary actor in, in the scriptures. Other people have a role to play, sometimes a very important role to play. Um, so they get to, they get to participate, but God is the ult- ultimately the primary actor from start to finish. So when we talk about spirit sensitivity, we're naming that God is leading us, not the other way around. God is the leader and God is at work out ahead of us. He's already at work and our job is to sort of discern what it is that God is doing and how he's inviting us to participate. For those of us who are, for those of um, our listeners who are part of our church community, you might remember that over the course of the summer, we were in a series on Acts, and this is like the primary theme we saw. Some um, Acts is shorthand for Acts of the Apostles, but a better title would be Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the main thing we see throughout that book is that the Spirit of God is out ahead, inviting the church to catch up. So in some, when we talk about spirit activity, we're talking about agency, that God is the leader, not us. And we're talking about activity, that God is out ahead of us. And our job is to sort of discern where God is at work so we can be a part of it. What would you guys add to that? Is there anything I'm missing? Yeah, I think when you say those things, it sounds right. I think for me, it can be really easy to think of those as kind of abstract ideas as opposed to something that we actually do. Like it kind of sounds nice and spiritual, um, but I think this is hard for us, particularly as Westerners in a world where we like to have everything like explainable by facts and logic, um, which is interesting because in reality, there are lots of things that, that can't be explained. But the agency of God is definitely one of those things, right? If we believe that he created us and he created all of creation, we're not going to be able to get our minds around exactly what that looks like and to predict how God works in the world. Totally. I was once out to eat with a a pastor at a different church, not in this area. And we were talking about this idea of uh, God's work being primary and ours being one of discerning that work and then joining in. And he pushed away from the table and he goes, that sounds mystical to me. So you're sort of dismissing Hmm. it as like a mystical endeavor. And I remember going, well, then where does that leave us? How in the world are we supposed to like join God's work in the world, be faithful to God, if we have no language to describe how that even works? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know this is something we've put a lot of time and attention into as a staff, as a leadership team, as a church. What kind of language have we used to kind of fill this out so it feels more common and everyday and not so esoteric and abstract? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the terms that comes to mind is kairos. Um, I know that this was a term that was somewhat new to me when I joined this community, but kairos is a Greek term for time, but it's kind of a different use of the word time than what we think of. It's different from the Greek word 
chronos, which is for like sequential linear time. So that would be like it's two o'clock on Wednesday or it's five o'clock, it's time for dinner. Kairos is a word for time, but with a whole different meaning. It's this idea that um, there's an opportunity or a moment, like an appointed time in which something meaningful happens. So an example of using Kairos might be saying something like, it's crunch time, um, or it's your time to shine. You know, if you're if you're using the word time in that sense, you're not going, hey, your time to shine is like four o'clock on a Wednesday. You're saying this is an opportunity for something to happen. In Ecclesiastes, there's that verse about there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Uh, that kind of gets at this idea of kairos. So I think this word is significant when we talk about spirit sensitivity because it's those moments in life where something kind of shifts within us that it becomes an opportunity to hear from the spirit. So for me, I would describe it as something maybe shaking loose that causes me to see something in a new light or to catch a glimpse of a vision that God has for us. And I think these moments are around us all the time, but we just often don't notice them. Um, a common kairos for me tends to uh, be around how I manage my time and my schedule, my calendar. I tend to find myself oftentimes like getting impatient when I feel like I don't have enough time to get done everything on my to-do list for the day. So I might be, let's say, trying to get out the door with my kids and they're dawdling. Millie's changing her outfit for the third time. And I find myself getting short and snippy and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will sort of catch my attention in that moment, sometimes in that moment, sometimes after the fact. And it becomes an opportunity for me to dig into, huh, why did I react that way in the moment? What does that say about me? And what might God be inviting me into instead of how I normally operate? So again, for me, the word kairos is important because it's a word that captures this idea of being on the lookout for the moments in our lives that God might be using to grab our attention. Yeah, totally. Which really leads to another word or kind of phrase that we use is like being divine detectives, that our job isn't to manufacture spiritual energy or results or make things happen. But like you said, kind of be on the lookout and aware of where those moments might be um, that the spirit is inviting us into living a different way of life. I think a, a third word that captures this value of spirit, sensitiv- spirit sensitivity is the word missional. Um, and this was a really popular word in the early 2000s. It kind of became a buzzword. And like most buzzwords, everybody sort of imports their own meaning and then it sort of loses its significance. But initially, this term um, was developed in the 1950s to talk about um, a really important concept, uh, Missio Dei, which is the mission of God. And it was this idea that God is missional. God is on mission. He's moving toward the world. And he invites us, the people of God, to be a part of that work. So we don't have a mission. God has a mission and God has a church for his mission. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And we get to be a part of it. So when you put all together, I think missional is sort of the theology underneath it, that again, it is it, it captures the theology that it's God's mission and we get to be a part of it. Divine detectives sort of captures our work. We're supposed to be on the lookout for the ways God is at work. And Kairos gets a, gets a, gives us some language to go, ah, yeah, that's one of those moments. That's a God moment where God is breaking in um, around us and and inviting us to be a part of it in in some way. I'm curious. Again, we're kind of in the uh, the idea, the mental model sort of um, 
layer of conversation right now. Katie, you've already named that sometimes it can feel sort of um, impractical or ambiguous. Why, why don't we cast some vision for our listeners as to how this actually plays out in the way we organize and do church and life together as a community? So what are some of the ways that you see this value of spirit sensitivity maybe informing and challenging the way that we do church? Yeah, I see it. Uh, I see it play out in the way that we do things with God as opposed to maybe doing things for God. I think it's common in the church to hear, um, you know, people talk about doing things for God or for the glory of God. But I think the difference between joining God and doing things for Him is significant. Doing things with God requires like a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in order to first discern what he's up to and what he actually wants from me, and then surrendering that, like surrendering my own agenda or my own idea of what I might want to do um, in response to the Spirit's leading. So doing things for God, the image that kind of comes to mind is like a puppy fetching a ball, like trying to make his master proud. Hey, are you proud of me? Look, I did this for you. Doing things with God is this idea of discerning, okay, God, where are you already at work? Sort of tuning into that and then and then asking, how can I surrender to that agenda and to join you in that work? Yeah, let me let me give you a practical example. When I was in grad school, I had to take a class and um, I, th- I think what I was handed in this class on evangelism was basically a great commission theology. So the great commission comes out of Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And the way it was sort of framed was very much like, hey, th- Jesus has been clear what our mission is. It's to make disciples. It's like our missional mandate. And now it's our job to be faithful to it. And so let's get to work. Kind of here are our marching orders. Now go out and do it. And, and over time, it became clear like that is an insufficient framework because the context of Matthew 28 is Acts 1.8 where Jesus basically says to the, the apostles, no, wait here until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So there's a shift there. It's not my job to go make disciples for Jesus. I actually can't do that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe a story that gets after this is my dad and I used to do a lot of hunting together. And um, there'd be times when our dog who was trained to hunt with us would get way out ahead and like scare all the birds away. And it was like, man, this isn't working because you're like, you know, a hundred yards ahead of where we are. We need to actually, like, mm-hmm. if this is going to mm-hmm. play out the way we're hoping, we need to work together. Mm-hmm. It's not your job to go out and hunt for us We've got to we've got to work together here. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Even though you're eager to do the right thing yeah. to make us happy, right? You're actually getting out ahead of us. Getting out ahead. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe um, Cameron, did you have anything to say on that one? No. Okay, I didn't want to cut you off. All right. Um, another one I might mention would be our understanding of leadership. I think that uh, a lot of churches have a very senior pastor-centric leadership model where the pastor is kind of the CEO who gets to call all the shots and make all the big decisions. And um, well, I mean, here's the thing. If God's the primary actor and agent and we're participants, then it means that the lead pastor isn't in fact the CEO who gets to call all the shots and make all the decisions. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church, so that's his job. And so when it comes to big decisions, uh, our job as a church community is actually to gather around and collectively discern where God's leading us so we can faithfully respond and be a part of it. You see that shift? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So it changes the way we we model and structure leadership. If God is truly the primary actor and agent, if God's the leader, then we need to we need to organize ourselves around allowing him to lead us. Mm. Seems like that puts potentially less pressure on leadership as well because rather than needing to have all of the ideas and all of the answers for how to make a church thrive, you are simply attuning to God's work and empowering others to do the same. Yeah, that's an interesting word, pressure. I think, yes, in some sense, it does change things because then the leader isn't responsible for sort of dictating, here's where we're going or here's where they're not responsible for every decision. But I do think there's a different layer of responsibility because as we'll talk about in a little bit, this process of discerning what God's up to is not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. It's still messy, it, it, it's hard, it's difficult. And so there's still a lot of work to be done. It's just different than the work of having all the answers and providing the definitive direction. Hmm. Yeah, I think another um, one is when it comes to our weekend service. Um, I think it can be tempting, especially if you know life is busy and stuff. You just kind of come in, go through the motions, um, just listen to the sermon, maybe sing along to the songs. Um, but this value of spirit sensitivity means that we believe, and this is for me too, even when I'm here preaching or just attending church, that um, that God's wanting to say something to me. So my job is not just to come and show up and kind of go through the motions, uh, but to listen to what God might be trying to say say to me and do in me as I'm here worshiping with everyone else. Yes. My goodness. I mean, so we used the word missional before. And I think one of the um, misunderstandings around missional is missional is predominantly about what's happening outside the church. But in fact, Sunday morning is just as missional as Thursday when you're serving at the soup kitchen. If it's truly about attending to God's agency, then Sunday morning is a time when we gather as a community to do that. Mm. And I've been in a lot of planning meetings for weekend services. And I feel like there's a predominant paradigm where we plan services with the impact we have in mind before we even head into the service. So here's what we're gonna do. And here's like the impact we hope this moment has on the people who are present. And that way of thinking is very different than going, how do we plan a service where we're actually attending to the God who's going to be present at work among us? And how do we invite people to be attentive to God's work in that space, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that feels way different to me. Like again, me planning, here's the designed impact for this weekend versus how do we create a space for people to attend to the God who's gonna be at work among us? Mm-hmm. Trusting that God is going to show up. Yeah, yeah definitely. Another one might be how, how we approach evangelism. So, Mac, you mentioned the idea of the the Great Commission being our marching orders, and I think I grew up in a context that um, that stressed that same message, where the emphasis was on like how you get to heaven. I remember tracks being passed out, memorizing like the four spiritual laws, drawing the diagram on the board of the cross with us on one side and you know God on the other, and the only way you can get across the divide was through the cross of Jesus. And those things aren't wrong, but just a hyper-focus on evangelizing as getting people across the finish line to heaven. So once I started to wrap my mind around the idea that God created everybody in his image, and therefore he is at work in their lives, it 
it did for me kind of take the pressure off to go, well, this isn't all me. This isn't my work. Their salvation isn't laying in my hands. I'm actually just getting to discern where God is already at work in their lives and then to join that work. And I also think there's a relational component to that because in order to share the good news with someone, I think it's important to be attuned to their stories Mm -hmm. and understand like their life and their journey, right? Like it's not a formula that I can just take and like awkwardly give to someone no matter who they are or what their life story is or what their experience with faith or religion is. Like it's really important to be in relationship with someone and attuned to how God is already working in their life and understand their experiences and their journey so that we can potentially join God in, um, in whatever he's doing in their lives. We even see Jesus do that. I mean, again, I think the, the model that you're sort of naming is you're sort of given a predetermined script to follow when sharing your faith with people, hopefully ending in some sort of decision and, and, and resulting in a prayer. Yeah, But it's the same sort of script, the same language, the same delivery with each and every person. But when you look at the the gospels, Jesus doesn't relate to people that way. Mm -hmm. The way he talks to Nicodemus is very different than how he talks to the, the, the woman at the well, you know, the chapter after. And so he seems able to enter people's stories, discern what God's doing in their life and be able to speak and join that work. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do think you're right. It, it requires a, a relational lens, a relational presence. We're actually being present to the other person and to the work God's doing in their life so that you can name that work and encourage and maybe challenge them to respond to it. That's That to me um, feels more complicated in some ways, mm-hmm. but also more freeing in some ways. Because mm-hmm. I've often felt the pressure to go, okay, I have to give this script or this this presentation and this person I don't think is going to respond very well to it. And you sort of try to force it. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's some freedom to go, no, my job is just to like pay attention to what God's doing in their life. But then immediately that kind of creates some ambiguity because there's not as, there's not like, there's not a script you're following anymore. Right. You're having to actually trust the spirit to lead you and guide you in those moments. Mm -hmm. Hence this value on spirit sensitivity. And I think people on the receiving end can sense which of those you're doing, right? That's why I didn't do that. It felt awkward to me. So I just didn't do it. And I felt like I was sort of a bad Christian, I guess, because of it. But I think people can tell when we're genuinely in relationship with them, wanting to cheer them on to respond to the Spirit's work. 100%. I, another one might be how we solve a problem or challenge in the church. Um, I think oftentimes when there's a problem or challenge in the church, my default as a leader is to assume that it's my job to fix it. And the fact that I'm paid staff even creates this expectations that other people might have of me that yes, it is your job to fix it. Like this is what you're paid to do. And I'd be lying if I said I got this right every time because sometimes when there's a problem or challenge um, here at the church, my anxiety can take over and I jump into fix it mode. But uh, when I'm at my best, I'm not going, how do we fix this? I'm going, where's God at work in this? And how do I invite other people who are aware of this problem to come into this space where we're discerning this as an opportunity to discover God's leading and then maybe be provoked toward a greater transformation among ourselves or to a different direction wherever God might 
lead us. Mm -hmm. But it often results in like our own transformation and maybe a new direction or a continued faithfulness in a direction we're already going. Um, I think another one is um, when it comes to discipling someone or mentoring someone, um, whether it's someone you're just in a relationship with or working in like the kids or youth area, um, it can be tempting to try to see your role as like trying to fix someone. Um, it's really easy to bring our own agenda to those relationships and to those roles. Um, but this value says that we want to actually, instead of trying to fix someone the way that we think they need to be fixed, uh, that we're trying to be sensitive to what God's doing in their life and help them be sensitive to what God's doing in their life. Because God's work is going to be way better than anything that we can bring to the table. You know what, Cameron, as you were talking, what came to my mind is that what you're describing requires a lot of humility. Um, and what I mean is, is when you're like investing in someone else or walking alongside someone else, it almost feels like arrogant to assume like, I know what this other person needs. I know what's best for them. And then I'm going to act on them to get them to do that or or to grow in this area. And I think the 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 contrast to that is it requires some humility to go, I don't know what's best for this person. God does. God's already at work for their good. And I don't know what that is yet. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever encountered like that toggle or that tension between assuming you know what's best for someone versus like no I've I've got to get curious about what might be best for them? Yeah, for sure. I think that um sometimes we even do know what's best for someone. We might be 6 months earlier than they're ready for, and the Holy Spirit also knows that better than we do, like that timing. Yeah, I definitely feel a temptation to fix people. And, and think that my insights are the best. <laughs> I mean, without a doubt. I, I lead a group right now, um, a leadership intensive group, and I find myself grappling with that every single meeting. It's like I just, I know what I think this person needs to hear and maybe even what God is trying to say to them, but constantly being attuned to both their receptivity to the Spirit and empowering them to um, join in, join in listening to the spirit on their own. And let's say you're right. So let's just press on this for a moment. Let's say you're right. Like you do have a bead on what might be best for them. And you might even think that the timing's right to Cameron's point. Sometimes we can get ahead of where the Holy Spirit is at work. Why would it still like, is there a reason why you still, it may not still be in their best interest just to tell them what it is? Well, yes, I would say yes. I think that there are times perhaps to submit something to them to humbly say, is this a word that sounds like what God might be wanting to speak to you and to offer that as a suggestion. But ultimately I think it's, it's about them being able to hear from the spirit on their own. It's that empowering work that has to happen, Hmm. right? We don't want codependency where they're just, coming to me every time saying, Katie, what do you think God's saying to me? Right? I can help you discern that. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit could be speaking to me. But you um, have to discern it. But you have to discern that. Yeah. And so even though you may have the right direction and even though your timing might be spot on, you could be creating a codependency and undermining their ability to grow into that themselves. Yeah. Totally. So um, these are all great concepts, but how do you guys think we actually do this? Like this idea of being attentive and following God's leading sounds great, but what what do we do when it's actually not that nice? Um, what do we do if, let's say, two of us disagree on where might 
God be leading. Let's say I say something, I sent something and you two sent something completely different about what God's saying and where he's leading us. Like, where do we go with that? Does it just become like a power struggle of who's right or who's holier or more able to hear from God or uh, what do we do with that? Yes, it does. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, you're getting at it. And I named this earlier that um, when we talk about spirit sensitivity and discerning what God's doing, it can sound really easy, but it's not. It is not easy. Um, people often hear different things where God might be leading or guiding us can feel fuzzy or ambiguous. Um, it, it's hard work, especially when you do it amongst a group of people, which is probably the right way to do it um, rather than just an isolation. Maybe to get us started, I would just name two um, ditches that people can fall into that do not help. So the first ditch I would name is an overconfidence in our ability to hear from God. So this is sort of this is this might be represented by someone who has a thus saith the Lord type posture. Like they're very confident. Hey, the Lord told me this or the Lord told me that. I remember when I was in college, there was this guy who walked up to a girl who he he didn't know very well and told her, I went to a Christian college, which will become clear in a moment. He walks up to this girl and goes, God told me that you're gonna be my wife. <laughs> and <laughs> This girl was- Red flag. Yeah, but and she responded brilliantly. She goes, well, I'll let you know when God tells me the same thing. Mm-hmm. But that kind of represents like, I, I do encounter people who are very confident in their ability to hear from God. And, and I think some of the language we use to bring some humility to that and even acknowledge like, we don't always hear right. Or sometimes what I think I'm hearing is a mix between what God might be saying and my own agenda or you know my own values mm-hmm. or whatever is just the word sense. Instead of God told me or God said, just say, I, I sense God saying this in, in a humble sort of posture. Mm-hmm. I think the other ditch is just the exact opposite of overconfidence, which is a, a total lack of confidence in one's ability, almost as if God can't speak or doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was counseling a couple, a husband and wife, and they were not on the same page and they had a big decision to make. The wife wanted one thing, the husband wanted another, and rather than telling them what I think they should do, I just tried to say, well, where is God at work in this decision? Have you prayed about it? Where do you sense God leading, leading you? And, um, and one of them said, you know what, Mac? I don't know. And quite frankly, I think it'd be easier just to flip a coin. Hmm. Like the whole idea of trying to discern uh, God's leading felt way too difficult and way too hard. And there wasn't this sort of assumption that no, 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 God does want to speak to us and does want to lead us and guide us. So I don't know if that gets at the full answer to your question, but maybe as just like a starting point go, we want to avoid this overconfident attitude um, where we just always assume what we're hearing is exactly what God is saying and a total lack of confidence where we have no ability to Mm -hmm. discern what God is saying. Yeah, and to the lack of confidence, um, an image that comes to my mind is like Peter walking on water. Like you can kind of dip your toe in the water um, it might feel scary at first, you, right? There might be some um, question as to whether I can really trust, is this God or is it just myself? Like we're not going to know perfectly, but as you start to step out on the water, I think that trust will build over time and we get more attuned to hearing God's voice. Yeah, and I don't think we can do it apart from other people. I mean, even the three of us, Cameron, Katie, uh, like when we have to when we have to do some discerning work together, um, 
if one of us is overconfident in community, one of us can say, hey, no, 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 that sounds more like you Hmm. coming out there. You know, there can be some challenge to our overconfidence. And at the same time, if I'm not hearing something, well, God might speak to someone else in the group and that's okay. I can learn how to submit to God's leading as he speaks predominantly through someone else as it pertains to a, a certain you know, decision or decision point. Mm-hmm. Why, don't we, why don't we maybe give people an example of how we, how we do this? You guys think of an example of how like we've had to discern something in community as a team, a decision, a direction, something like that. Yeah, well, one thing is, um, you know, if you're part of our church, you know, in January, we're going to move to two services again, Um, kind of started as a pinch point in the children's ministry area and just with lots of young families and trying to get better consistency amongst volunteers and people serving. Um, And so as we brought this, like, hey, we should think about maybe making a change here from going from one service to two services. Um, as a staff team, everyone spent some time praying about it. And when we came back, not we were not even close to on the same page. Everyone kind of brought different things and different um, ideas and different things that felt really important. And the longer we kind of sat with it and, you know, over a couple more weeks and um, just kept trying to listen to where God was leading, even though everyone brought something different to the table, uh, all these factors ended up being important as we landed where we did land. So even though we didn't just all vote and be like, wow, God spoke to us um, super clearly, um, the way God was speaking to every person um, really contributed to like where God was leading us as a group. Yeah, in fact, at one point, after hearing from each staff member regarding their ministry area, how one or two services would impact their ministry area. We actually had a month of prayer where people were praying and listening. And then we had a vote where it was not a vote to make a decision, but where are you landing as, a, as an opportunity for people to define, here's what I think we should do. And it was sort of like, I feel really strongly, I should, we should go to two. I feel like we should go to two more than stay at one. And so there are these four positions and even there, there was literally people in each camp. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think when we're discerning something, it, everybody has the same sense of where we should go. And that's awesome. Like that makes it really easy when everybody is sort of on the same page, hearing the same thing, boom, let's move forward. But Cameron, I think you named something really significant, which was when everybody came back, even then still not on the same page, it sort of, it, it could have created division or sort of, power, a power move, different people sort of pushing for their agenda. But instead it was like, well, maybe the spirit is speaking through everybody here and that needs to inform our next steps, which I think is ultimately what happened. Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. I remember um, praying about it and not feeling like I was getting a whole lot. I, I remember looking at, you know, like some data on, okay, average weekly attendance and how many kids are in the kids' rooms and feeling like, I don't know how to separate what God is saying um, from just the data. And maybe that's my default is like, if I just have enough information, I can figure this out. But I did feel like I was able to hear the spirit more as we started to discern as a group. Yeah. I think the other thing I would maybe mention about this process of discerning God's work in community is it does require a certain degree of emotional maturity amongst, amongst those who are participating because there is this sort of dance between listening and sort of reflecting and surrendering our agenda. I also think I would name that 
it, it goes best when the people sitting around the table uh, doing the discernment work are all pursuing intimacy with Jesus in their own lives. Hmm. I think um, I've, I've seen some churches where their, let's say their, their board of elders or their overseer team is predominantly comprised of successful business guys who maybe haven't, they make a lot of decisions in their day-to-day lives and that's awesome. But this whole idea of discerning God's direction and leading is new to them. And it's, there's sort of, so there's sort of a steep learning curve. So I think there's, I'm just naming, this goes best when a group of people are committed to a life of discerning God's activity individually and together. They're growing in emotional maturity so they can navigate that space in a healthy way when not everyone is hearing or sensing the same thing. And they can stay connected to each other in those moments to go, well, let's slow down and keep listening and move towards what God might have us do. So um, maybe to close out, let's just try to get real practical. Um, let's say someone's a part of our community. How are we practicing spirit sensitivity at Crosspoint? Yeah, I think on one level, it has to happen, like you mentioned, individually, that um, we can't do this together if we're not all doing it separately. Um, and on the same token, or kind of similarly, um, it's really hard to do on the big things that feel really important and significant if we're not practicing it daily. Mm. Um, and it's like hard to, I don't know, I've found it difficult to learn how to hear God's voice or like what works for me, what things I need to do to try to tune into what the spirit's saying. And so it just takes like daily practice. And, um, you know, sometimes there's days where it feels really frustrating. Um, and other times it's like, you know, after a month of trying to tune in and practice and listen and learn, um, from God, it's like, oh, wow, I'm a lot further than I thought I was, even though if there were some really frustrating days along the way or didn't go as smooth or as quickly as I thought it would. I think that's really insightful that you name. It's kind of a daily, a daily thing and not just the big things, but the small things. Cause I think at least my temptation is, you know, just to, and I see this in other people as well is that, Hey, we just go to God with the big things, mm-hmm. but unless we've been doing it with those small things, we may not have the capacity to actually hear well with the big thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another way um, I would say we practice this is just within the walls of the church. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to hear someone say like, oh, I'm going to church, I'm going to church, as like as if church is just a building that we attend. But what we're going for is a church that's a body of believers, that's um, discipling each other and doing life together. And as we enter into relationship with others in the church, we get to cheer each other on and um, walk alongside each other as we hear from God, and we get to encourage each other to say yes to the work that He's doing in our lives. So we do that mutual discernment we just talked about, and then we do the responding together. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, Mac, like there's not just one person in the church that speaks for God. We all hear God, and the way He speaks to us will all be uh, a little different, right? Like it'll be. Um, It'll be kind of tailored to our personalities, our experiences, like the way we understand and hear from God, I think is is individual to us. We all have our own lenses um, that kind of filter how we discern his voice. But when we bring it together in a community, I think something really cool happens. So God uses the church and our brothers and sisters in Christ to speak to us, and he uses us to speak to them. We talked about that last week a little bit too with discipleship how we disciple each other to grow in our capacity to hear God's voice and to be attuned uh, to what he might be doing in our lives. 
Yeah, and I think maybe a, a third thing I would add in, ad, in addition to individually and then inside the walls of the church is also outside the walls of the church. I mean, part of what we, we are talking about with spirit sensitivity is agency and activity. And God is at work outside the walls of our church right now in ways that we have yet to discover. And so I'm really passionate about helping, helping people um, become divine detectives outside the walls of the church so they can be part of that work in their neighborhood. God's at work in people's neighborhoods right now. He's at work in their workplaces, in third spaces they frequent, whether it's a coffee shop or a gym or whatever it is. And so part of us being formed as disciples of Jesus is becoming equipped to be able to discern the things God's doing in our community and how he's inviting us to be a part of that. Rather than just like insul- like kind of an inward focused, we also wanna be discerning what God is doing beyond the walls of our church. Yeah. Right, it can be easy to think that God's just at work within the church, within people that are maybe actively seeking him and, and trying to follow him. But in reality, what you're saying is he's at work everywhere. Yes. Yeah, so spirit sensitivity. It's a big one. It's a really important one. Um, you know, I think the important thing is is to remember that God is working um, ahead of us, that God um, is God's work is going to be better than anything we can possibly uh, put together or make happen. And so our job is just to try to follow that and discern it. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of practice. Um, it takes a lot of failure trying to figure it out. But the only way you can really figure out how to do it is just to try it and keep trying to learn and lean in and ask other people um, how they discern God's voice and just try to try to try some different things. Well, thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Next time, we're going to press into a third core, va- core value here at our church, and that is participation. We want to be a church that steps beyond weekend attendance into active participation, knowing that the church is the sum total of everyone's efforts. So we hope you'll tune in as we discuss how you can actively participate in the life of our church community. We'll see you next time. Praxis is recorded and produced at Crosspoint Community Church. You can find out more about the show and our church at crosspointwi.com. If you have any questions, comments, or have any suggestions for future topics, feel free to send us an email. Also, if you enjoy the show, consider leaving a review. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.